There's a conspiracy afoot that's pulling the world into darkness. Information is the new battlefield. Propaganda, disinformation, and media manipulation dominate the minds of the public. Join us on the Dark to Light Show as we remove the head of the snake and expose media censorship, social and cultural engineering, and the unfolding global conspiracy of the New World Order. All right, welcome back to the Dark Delight Show. My name is Josh. Jim Price has the day off, so you get me today. Just uh, one of those Fridays where I just go on a, an epic rant and we just talk for an hour. And, uh, you know, <laughs> welcome to the Dark Delight Show, everybody. $5.35 cigarette tax in New York State. And they believe that this is going to reduce the amount of smokers. This is just going to make smokers mad. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they understand how this works with addiction and nicotine. All they're going to do is take more and more money off of the uh, off of the table of poor families who are smokers and put it towards cigarettes and taxes than it is going to be able to provide for their family. It's not going to allow people to quit smoking. You know, government doesn't consult psychologists and addict therapists and these other types of people that understand how the human nature operates. And, you know, in listening to a lot of the news here in the, the Rochester area, it, it's, um, it, it's kind of scary because it's almost as if government is mindless. That government, government doesn't think. The amount of crime and violence that's occurring in the Rochester area right now is absolutely atrocious. And the gun violence. <clears throat> you know, the biggest thing with guns is that they make it more and more difficult for good citizens who are trained, who are ready to help defend the innocent, the vulnerable, to purchase a firearm. Well, they make it easier for criminals to get weapons, to get guns. Anybody can go out there and find an illegal firearm and purchase it. It's not a difficult thing to do. And like the gentleman was saying there in the news broadcast, is that they bring these people into the police station, they book them, and then they send them on their way because that's what happens when you have George Soros-appointed DAs. And then they go right back out in the streets, they get another gun, and they go commit more crime. But imagine what would happen if we had an armed populace. Imagine what would happen if we had people who were trained on firearms, trained on self-defense, trained on how to deal with those types of situations. A few weeks ago, we had an off-duty police officer who shot and killed a would-be mass murderer. Another person walked into, I think it was a Home Depot, with a rifle and was immediately shot dead. By somebody, a good citizen, carrying a firearm. We've heard this story over and over and over again. It doesn't always happen, but it does happen. That if these mass shooters were confronted with an armed citizenry, they would think twice about pulling that trigger. And most likely, the physical deterrent of the fact would probably stop it from happening in the first place. I get reminded of this event that happened in Texas about two years ago. A gentleman walked into a 
I think it was in East Texas Church. And he began to open fire. And within a second of opening fire, there was two people drawing their firearms, shooting him dead. Imagine if we lived in that society. To where we trained our children at a young age in school. How to use a firearm. That is a tool. A tool for self-defense. A tool against tyranny. A tool to help feed yourself and your family. Imagine if marksmanship was still taught in our schools. See, that's one of the biggest problems with America today. Is we no longer have an informed, an educated society. People are walking around like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to navigate this rough terrain of the world. People have lost their way and don't even know that they need direction. And who can we blame for this? Do we blame the government who is a mindless entity who simply just reacts to the cultural significance of society as it evolves? Do we blame Hollywood for producing the mass manipulation that is televised daily? That entrains our minds into a hypnotic state? That injects various points of propaganda and manipulation into our thoughts and our imagination, which eventually transition into action within society? Do we blame our, our bosses and our, the companies that we work for for locking us up in a prison for eight hours a day as we produce massive amounts of labor for very little pay? Or do we blame ourselves for the acceptance of a system that we knew from the beginning was broken, that we knew wasn't sustainable? That we knew was toxic. I think a lot of what's happening right now, what I call the the great awakening, is the realization that there has to be a certain level of personal responsibility taken for what is happening in the world right now. And whether or not you believe in what's called a collective consciousness, it's a real phenomena. It's a real thing. In the the 1950s, in the Olympics, Bannister broke the four-minute mile, which was unheard of. Doctors before this time believed that your heart would explode if you tried to break a four-minute mile. The Romans believed that it was an impossible feat that could never be taken up by any human being. But Bannister broke it, the first man to do it. And after that fact, within the first year, 20,000 people had broken the four-minute mile. 20,000, including teenagers. Well, what happened? The idea, the possibility, became a fact within people's minds. It spread like wildfire through the collective consciousness that someone else had accomplished it. Someone else had done it, and therefore... I can too. And now, millions of people can easily break a four-minute mile. 
That's the power of the collective consciousness. And whether that's an organic grassroots thing that spreads through just word of mouth or whether that is something that is ingrained within our consciousness, it doesn't matter because that's how society has evolved. That's how society moves forth. So if we think about this, humanity is coming up to this point where we need to take personal responsibility for ourselves. The system that is in place right now has been brought about because we neglected it. Because we put it off to the side and let someone else control and run and operate and build it. It's here now because we wanted the easy road. We wanted to be left alone. We wanted to just go... You know, work our nine to five job, come home, eat a good meal, watch a little TV, spend some time with the family and go to sleep and do it all over again and find those moments of happiness in between to have that weekend to ourselves where we could, you know, do that yard work or go fishing or go golfing or, or spend the weekend with our family. It's what we worked for for so long. Not realizing that that system, that that routine is a prison and that prison is the one that we as humanity, not necessarily individually created for ourselves. Number one, because we accepted it. We went through grade school and said, we're going to go to college or we're going to go to skilled trade or I'm going to do this when I get out. And we, we made those decisions to work like that. When I get out, I'm going to be a carpenter. I'm going to be a plumber. I'm going to be a, a welder, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a physicist, I'm going to be an astronaut, whatever it is. We chose, we chose free will, we chose that. And then when we get into the mundane lifestyle of the life that necessarily doesn't go the way we ever expected it to go, we blame everybody else for our problems. We blame everybody and everything else for the way our life is, the dissatisfaction that we have. See, the Great Awakening, it's not a global awakening of humanity waking up to the crime and the corruption and the darkness and the evil in the world. It's an individual awakening. An individual awakening where the veil is lifted between you and your darkness. Where all those things with inside of you are coming to the surface. The realization, the, the lack of discipline, the lack of of responsibility, those bad habits and routines, those skeletons in the closet, they all come to the surface right now. This is what I truly believe is meant by the word apocalypse, the Coptic Christian word that is derived from a lot of the ancient Egyptian mysteries and was later translated into Revelation. The word apocalypse means the unveiling which in Egyptian mythology comes from the story of the goddess Isis, who wore a veil upon her forehead, upon her eyes. And behind the veil, within her eyes, was the secrets of the universe, the wisdom of the ages. And that it's prophesied that a man would come across that would lift that veil and learn the secrets. In the representative mytholo mythological story, 
This man was deitized later on in Egyptian mythology known as Toth. But in the context, it was Hermes or Hermes Trismegistus, Hermes Trice Great, who lifted the veil and learned the secrets from Isis of Sais. He taught them to his four disciples and sent them to the four corners of the earth to restart the world after the deluge. We'll talk more about this. We're going to be right back with more Dark Delight Show. Dark Delight on the WYSL stations. All right, back to the Dark Delight Show. And we're talking about interesting things today, aren't we? I was just talking to you about the mythological story of, of Isis and the veil that she wore. And this is where the derivation of the word apocalypse comes from, the Coptic Christian word. And how Hermes, the, uh, the Greek god, Mercury, Hermes, the Egyptian deified god Toth, came up the, to Isis and lifted the veil, and he's the only man who has ever done this. And he learns the secrets of the universe, and he teaches these to his four disciples and sends them to the four corners of the earth to restart civilization after the Great Deluge. Now, if we take that into the context of kind of the unveiling, the Great Unveiling, which is the, the literal definition of apocalypse there, that's the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening is the lifting of that veil. Not only the veil to the evil that is being perpetuated within our world, but the darkness that is within us. The hidden aspects of everything within us. The peering inward of the soul. The self-reflection, the introspection. In Latin, they call this the temet notius or ipsum tenotius, which means to know thyself, which was the phrase that was hung over the temple of the oracle at Delphi. To know thyself, one must know the good and the bad, the light and the dark. It must bring it all out onto the surface. Where the duality of those two sides converge and bring about a new entity. One that has everything understood, the good and the bad. And that's what's happening in the world right now. And a lot of this great awakening that we see is about introspection. It's about looking into yourself and finding your role and how society is evolving. Ten years ago, no one cared about the trans agenda. Nobody thought about LGBTQ communities. And there's nothing to be afraid of, of these people. They were just people with thoughts. They were just people with ideas. They were just people doing what they feel inherently is truthful. Although we might disagree, it didn't become a problem because until the culture transitioned and government and policy and corporations latched on to that cultural transition and began implementing rules, regulations, and laws to amplify the message. That's when it became a problem. 
We didn't take note when our children were going through school and receiving indoctrination, being groomed. We weren't yelling and screaming when we were paying $50,000 in tuition for our children to go to higher education schools, colleges, universities, and get a liberal indoctrination to be taught the fundamentals of communism and socialism and fascism as the solution to the world's problems. Where were we screaming out? No, we were signing the checks. And see, now it comes to roost, doesn't it? Now all that stuff culminates to this very moment within our world, within our society, where we look back and we say, what happened? Why Why are you guys doing this? Why is the government making these rules, these regulations, and these policies? Why are the education centers indoctrinating our children in this way? Because it's been done that way for a very long time. You just decided to notice now. Because we want a generation of human beings in the United States of America who went through that system And we didn't pay attention. We didn't pay attention because we were working nine to five in overtime hours for crappy pay. We didn't pay attention because every moment that we got home after working within our slave jobs, we just wanted to rest and relax. And we decided maybe not to have those conversations with our children. We decided not to look at the more detailed picture of what was actually happening outside of our little bubble of life. And so as all good things, they come to roost. And right now, humanity is going through this point of introspection where all of those things within us begin to come to the surface because they're culturally and socially significant now because we've noticed the trends and the changes. And we're sitting there going, I didn't know this was happening. I didn't realize this was happening. Who can I blame? And I blame myself just as much as you should you. Because we were disillusioned by the world around us. We ate the serpent's apple and were poisoned by its illusion. Isn't that the truth? That all of this stuff was being built up. It didn't happen overnight. All of this stuff was happening right under our noses. And it's only now that we decided to pay attention. And so there's a level of personal responsibility that we all have to take with this. There's a level of... of, There's a level that we have to achieve in this understanding. That politics is a reflection of culture. Culture is a direct reflection of influence. And those that influence the younger generations will produce the culture of tomorrow. And the culture of tomorrow will produce the politics of the future.
And if we understand that simple little formula, then there's no reason why right now we can't take back America, why we cannot reestablish our rights, our freedoms, and our liberties. Because we know exactly how to do it. It doesn't start by going out there and trying to convince the elderly, the millennials, the Gen Zers, the Gen Xers. It starts right now with that younger generation that is in school. It starts right now with those young minds who are being molded and influenced into a new culture. We as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, as friends, must help to healthily influence that generation. Help them understand the world around them. Make them, allow them to understand what rights and freedoms and liberties are of why this country was created the way it was created. Because if we don't, I guarantee you, someone else will. And would you, would you want somebody else influencing the culture of tomorrow? without your input. It's something to think about. But that's a lot about what the Great Awakening is about. It's about this individual realization. It's about all these things within us coming to the surface and realizing our personal responsibility, our personal power, our personal neglect. Society can be saved. Society is influenced generation to generation. You know, going back into <clears throat> the mysteries of the ages, it's interesting that a lot of this conversation is coming up in these days. You know, I've studied these topics for, my goodness, coming up on, I'm going to be 42 this year, coming up on like 20, 28 years. And the one thing that I've realized about all of mythology, about the majority of the ancient writings, is there's two ways to perceive them. We always externalize the great mysteries. We always externalize religious scripture. We always think that it's something that was happening outside of us. It's always something that is external to us, that doesn't have our influence, that it's something that <clears throat> happened a long time ago. <clears throat> when I was uh, 14 years old, I started reading about the Vedas, the, the Hindu mythology. There's a, a series of books that come from the uh, uh, Maratha Bharata, um, called you have the Upanishads, you have the Dampapadas, and then you have the Bhagavad Gita. And when I read these books, I read them from a uh, a Sanskrit scholar, a religious scholar, contemporary religious scholar, um, who was from India, moved to America, and translated these books to English. Eknath Answari was his name. And he gave you an idea of how to read these books. I'll talk about that when we come back here in a minute. We'll be right back with Dark Delight Show. 
Dark Delight on the WYSL stations. All right, back to the Dark Delight show. <clears throat> so in this series of books by Exwath Eswari, Ekwath Eswari, he described the, the method of how to read them. And, and I found it fascinating because nobody had ever told me or showed me how to read mythology, of how to read religious scripture. And he said that when you read this, think about it as an encoded message. One message is externalized or for the explicate order. And one message is internalized or the implicate order. Or he said that one message is for the actions and the deeds and the morals and the ethical standards that you do within your life. The actions that flow, that influence the world around you. And the other aspect is those things that you do within you. And I found that fascinating. And so I read through them and I tried to look at those things in that context. And it started to make a lot more sense. That when I looked at the mythology as something that was occurring within me and without me, that these deities within the Vedas were not actually physical beings. We were not things that actually existed, but instead variations of the human psyche, archetypes of human mind, and how those archetypes of human mind interact within the two different worlds, the internal world and the external world. How those archetypes of human mind produce an energy about them, and how that energy influences things external to them and internal to them. And I'll tell you, it was, it was a profound moment in understanding that. Because once you understood that anything that you do outwardly, any action that you do within your life outwardly through the universe is reflected within. And anything that you do inwardly any thought, desire, any imagination, anything you do inwardly is reflected outwardly. And that's a lot of the base premise of a lot of mythology is that we exist within two worlds, the inner world and the outer world, and they are directly connected. And that one motion in any of those worlds affects everything else in those other worlds. And so when we start thinking about what the Great Awakening is, when we start thinking about how society is reacting right now, there's a lot of inner strife, inner suffering, inner turmoil and trauma within humanity that is pent up, that has not been resolved, that's occurred for a very long time. We can look at the bankers and we can look at the politicians and world leaders and these corporations as the, the main culprit who's maybe induced this trauma onto us or, or produced the circumstances 
that have drawn our life in the way that they have. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we were the decision makers. We were the determining factor within our own life. And so, whether you're Christian or, or Hindu or, or Jewish or whatever religion it is that you, you, you study and practice and, and have within your, your ideological framework, it's time for us to begin looking inside. To stop ignoring that internal order within us. To get to know who we truly are by asking those right questions on the inside. There's a one, what I, I call a spiritual revelation that I've learned throughout my years. And this is that we all have a personal level of development, right? We have a, a physical level of development. We have a emotional level of development, which is now called emotional intelligence. We have a mental level of development. We call this in, in this call this intellect, right? And then we have a spiritual level of development. And if we look at those things and subdivide them into different categories, Right, thought, inspiration, imagination, all these types of things, emotion, we, uh, you know, experiencing and understanding and resolving all these types of different subcategories. And we mark those at various different levels of development of where we, we believe or feel we are at. Like, you know, I've never had much fear in my life, so I haven't experienced it that much. I'm not good with dealing with it. So that's a very low level of development. On the other hand, you have things like, Imagination. I'm a daydreamer. My imagination, I, I can vividly imagine things. I can see them in my mind. I can hold them. I can touch them. I can feel them. I can, I can taste it. That's a high level of development within that mental plane. Well, here's the, the key factor to all of this, and this might be a revelation for some people out there. That when you meet someone new or when you meet someone in life or someone you've known your whole life, when you're communicating with another human being, you cannot know that human being. You cannot be inside their mind, know their thoughts, their feelings. You have no idea what is going on within that individual being. Even though you're communicating with them, even though that you feel them, what, the, you, what you're experiencing when you like or dislike something, someone, when you're communicating with someone, what you're experiencing is a reflection of their actions and influences into the world that are resonating within a level of development within yourself. Which means that you cannot know anybody. You can only know somebody as well as you know yourself. Imagine that. You can only know somebody else as well as you know yourself. Because everything that you interact with that person is simply a reflection upon your inner state of development. And so people who normally don't like each other have completely different histories. Nothing within side of you resonates with what they're doing. And why is that? Because it's most likely whatever that person 
is expressing outwardly are the things that you hate about yourself. Are the things that are in that negative polarity in the sense of development within yourself. And that's why you despise that person. That's why you're angered by that person or jealous of that person. But those people that you meet that are like, oh my goodness, this, this person's awesome. They reflect the best things within you. They resonate with the best things within yourself. And you notice that. And there's this mutual attraction that is generated from that. Well, let me take it to the next level. If you could only know a person, another human being, as well as you know yourself, and that is the basis, the foundation for every relationship in life, then how well can you know God? You can only know God as well as you know yourself. You can only have a relationship with God that is dependent upon the foundation of how well you know yourself. So going back to that Latin phrase, ipsum tonosius, or temet notius, know thyself, hung at the, the entrance of the temple of the oracle at Delphi. Famous quote by Socrates, know thyself. Now it makes sense. That in order to know other people, I have to know myself. And the more I know about myself, the more I can understand and develop relationships with other people. But rightfully so, the more I know myself, the larger the relationship, the more knowingness I can have of my understanding of God, my relationship with God. That that introspection is a part of our inner being. That drawing within ourselves and going through the minutiae, going through the darkness is a part of who we are and who we become. That the great awakening is a purging, a purging of all those things left unresolved with inside of ourselves, all those things that we've neglected, all those, you know, those, those things in our life that we suppressed down, all those traumas. Because we decided one day not to look within, that the world was all external to us. Like I said before, we, we ate the poison of the serpent's apple and we fell for its delusion. That the whole world was external to us. That everything around us was happening to us, not for us. That we ignored the internal world. That we decided not to have that personal responsibility and realize, and we, we believed the fact that what was happening in the world was outside of our control. But yet, just like the relationships with other people and the relationship with God... The external world is a reflection of your inner world. I'll say that again. The external world is a direct reflection of your inner world. And I'm assuming that for most people, it's chaos. Disorganization. The lack of sleep. 
It's fearful. It's scary sometimes. See, Western religions, they've kind of moved away from this inner world, this inner realization. We talk a lot about the soul and how God created our soul and how it's within us. But how much work do we do to build it, to realize it? It was Jesus that said that that the seed was planted within you, inside you. That's the seed of the soul. It must be watered. It must be nurtured. It must be given warmth from the sunshine to grow. And I use this analogy a lot. I see we're coming up on a break. I'll, I'll bring the analogy in after the break that we're going to go into. This is a great analogy. It's the, one of the best analogies that I have for the Dark Delight. We'll be right back with more Dark Delight Show. Dark Delight on the WYSL stations. All right. Back to the Dark Delight Show. You know, I was talking about an analogy that I utilize. And, and when I think about spirituality, when I think about the inner state of the world, the soul, all these things, I tend to think about this. That imagine for a moment a seed is pressed down deep into the soil. The soil is dark. It's constricting. It's wet. It's cold. That seed doesn't know direction. It doesn't know which way to go in the darkness. It's lost. But it follows its instincts. And it begins shooting up through the constriction. It begins shooting up through the darkness. It begins meandering in all directions, seeking warmth, comfort, light. And it moves through all the obstacles in its way while enveloped by darkness. Only one day to pop through the surface and get that inkling of warmth, of light. And the moment it has that that first relevance of light, it shoots up. It begins to grow radically. And as it grows radically, it begins to blossom and bloom. Basking within the sunlight of a newly born day. And see, that's metaphorically what we talk about in, I guess, esotericism as as above, so below. Because that analogy represents the struggle of every single one of us. Of the seed that is planted internal to ourselves that we must meander through the darkness searching for the light. But once you penetrate that surface, once you get out of the constriction of that internal strife, once you remove yourself from the coldness, the dampness, you shoot up, you grow, you blossom. And then you produce a new generation of seeds 
which then again repeat the process and are planted again. And see, right now, humanity as a collective, humanity as a whole, is planting a new seed. We've come to the end of one cycle and we're entering into a new cycle. And chaos is ensuing because we've just been pressed down into the darkness. And we're searching for the light once again. And as we're searching for the light, we're carrying up all those things, all those things that we're absorbing from the soil. Everything that we're absorbing from the soil is being pulled up with us from the darkness into the light. But just know that as we pierce through the surface and get that first basking of sunlight that comes at us, that we will rise. That we will rise together. That from that rising, we will eventually blossom and bloom. And we'll bring beauty back to the planet. I like using analogies. They're fun sometimes. Len Horowitz, uh, Dr. Len Horowitz, who's uh, a guy within the truth movement, kind of that movement for a long time. He he has a great example of uh, a great analogy of dark delight. And I'll see if I can remember it here. And he says, when I think of God, when I think of evil, good and evil, I tend to think of this analogy of the power of our creator, of the power of love over hate. He says, imagine walking into a room full of darkness, full of hatred, full of anger and fear, full of all the evils in the world that are encapsulated within that darkness. And just light one little candle and darkness flees. Darkness is no more with just a flicker of one light. But see, you can't do the opposite. You can't go into a room full of truth, of wisdom, of righteousness, of love, full of light, to where darkness can have any effect. No spark of darkness within that room can extinguish any of that light. And that's the power that I think about when I think about our Creator. Is the light which He gives to the world, which cannot be extinguished by any evil or any darkness. And that's the light that we must embrace in the times that we're enduring right now in this world. That's the light that we hold within our heart and within our soul, within our minds, and that we express outwards to light the world in front of us so that that darkness shall never have any effect on us. If that seed had an understanding of what the process was, if that seed when planted into the soil knew, hey, everything's going to be okay. I just need to trust the plan. I just need to extend my roots out, throw my shoot up, and I need to meander through this darkness, and I need to penetrate that surface, and one day I'm going to blossom and I'm going to bloom. We call that faith. 
That seed has the faith and trust within the process. And I know every single one of you listening have the faith and the trust in the process. But understand that just like that seed, the work must be done. The internal work must be done. There's a lot of things that we have to bring through the surface from our own inner darkness before we can blossom and bloom, before you can blossom and bloom. And that's what this great transition is about. That's what the great awakening is all about. It's about learning about who you are, what you are. It's about resolving all that trauma and strife. And how do you resolve that? It's not about forgiving other people. It's not about forgiving somebody for what they did to you. It's about forgiving yourself. Now, I can't tell you how to do that. But I can tell you the secret that it is about forgiving yourself. And typically it's about bringing it to the surface. About understanding that it happened. Whatever it was. And that the deep innate love for yourself forgives yourself. Forever suppressing it. Forever burying it deep within that darkness of yourself and let it go. Because the moment you let it go, that removes the blockage to understanding who you are, to knowing yourself. And remember, you can only know somebody else. You can only know God as well as you know yourself. A lot of things to think about this weekend. I know many of you are like, can't wait till Jim comes back. (laughs) All right, guys. Much love, respect, God bless. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you guys next week. Tuesday, Labor Day, Monday. We'll see you guys next week on the Dark Light Show. Take care.